Well, good morning, everybody. It is awesome to be here with you guys. I love, like I said, I love Sundays. I look forward to this all week long. Get to share a little of, of God's word, get to share fellowship, get to share communion, and just get to share Jesus with people. And it's such a, a blessing. It's such an honor. And we have got so far to get today. We have got so much to do. I want to get right into it. We're in Psalm 34 today. And uh, Psalm 34, just a little background on the psalm itself. Psalm 34 is what's called an acrostic psalm. An acrostic psalm means that in the original language that it was written in, each verse began with a successive letter of the alphabet. So if the first verse started with letter A, the second verse would start with the letter B, the third verse would start with the letter C, and so on. And uh, that's not the only psalm. Psalm 119 is also an acrostic psalm. It does that. And the only reason I bring that up, it doesn't really have anything to do with the real content of the, the psalm. But I think it's important to realize that we have a God who is creative, who has infused into us a creative mind and, and a spirit that, that seeks out those, those creative and beautiful and interesting things an inquisitive mind, and, and I just think it's cool that as we are fashioned and as we are, are made in God's image, he has infused that creativity into us. And so it's just kind of a neat little um, bit of history about that psalm. Also, the book of Psalms is known as the Psaltery, P-S-A-L-T-E-R-Y, the Psaltery. And so if you take your book of Psalms and add um, my pocket knife here, you have a Psaltery with a deadly weapon. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Probably not very long after that. Um, but Psalm 34, we're going we're gonna to see that it's sort of divided almost naturally into four sections. And we're going to go through them section by section. Um, and it's almost a lesson in how we should or can witness to other people, whether they're Christians or not. This is kind of a good lesson for us in how to witness to people and what kind of witness do we share with the world, both Christian and non-Christian. Now, this psalm was written by David, and it was written uh, right after he had escaped from King Abimelech, uh, the king of the Philistines, by pretending to be insane. They brought David before Abimelech, or actually his name was Achish. Don't let anybody tell you that your Bible has a contradiction in it. Back in Psalm 21, uh, verses 10 through 15, we find this story. David escapes from King Achish in, Psalm, or in, uh, in Samuel, and it's King Abimelech here in Psalms. That's not a contradiction. All of the Philistine kings held the title Abimelech, just like Roman kings were all called Caesar uh, Egyptian kings were all called Pharaoh. Philistine kings were all called Abimelech. So it was his title. His name was Achish or Akish, depending on what, where you're from, I guess. But so that's what happened. He, he was brought before this king, and he was a scared. He was afraid. He was scared uh, that this king was going to take his life. And so he pretended to be insane. The story goes that he, he let, like, drool run out of his mouth and down his beard, and, and he just acted like one of my kids, evidently. And so the king looked at him and they, he said, why did you bring this whack job in front of me? Get him out of here. So the plan worked, you see. David pretended this insanity, was ejected from uh, Abimelech's presence, and thus escaped with his life. Now, let's get into Psalm 34. We'll come back to that story in just a few minutes. 
Psalm 34, the first section is verses 1 through 6. That's what we're going to look at right now. And it starts in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Stop there. Now, is there something that maybe you notice is blatantly, obviously missing from this psalm? He doesn't mention anything about Abimelech. He doesn't mention anything about what it was that was causing this fear in him. He doesn't talk about the thing that was making him scared. He doesn't talk about exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's thunderously missing from this story here of, 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 of David praising, the God, praising God for what he's delivered him from, but he never goes into detail about what it is that he delivered him from. Why is this important? A lot of times, guys, when we're telling our story to other Christians, or to non-Christians especially, when we're telling our story, we're, we're a little scared. We're a little afraid that this person's going to think that I'm some evangelical nutcase and that I'm just going to just beat him over the head with my Bible because that's how my daddy did it. Right? Works every time. He's gonna, he's, so I've got to stay, stay kind of cool. I want to play Jesus down a little bit. So I'll tell the stories about how I used to be, and then I'll, tell the, I'll say, but I'm not like that anymore. But I, you kind of leave out the why. Charles Spurgeon talks about that, actually. And Charles Spurgeon, in speaking of Psalm 34, says this. He says, David dwells only on the grand fact of God's having heard his prayer and delivered him. We may learn from his example not to parade our sins before others as certain vainglorious professors are doing and who seem to be as proud of their sins as old soldiers are of their battles and wounds. You guys ever hung around? Anybody that's got those, those great old war stories? And, and you want to trade stories with them? And, and we do. We all fall into that. We get into the, the trading war stories. We talk about, oh yeah, I used to do, you know, back before Christ... Man, I, I, I was just horrible. I was a horrible person. I was drinking and, and smoking, and I was in the bar all the time, and I was womanizing, and you name it, and I did it, bought it, got the T-shirt. You, it's, it's all there. I've got it all. I've got the scars from all the bars and all the broken and messed up cars, and I, my life was a country song before, and, and now it's all good. But we leave out the why. We leave out what happens. See, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. You don't just say, and then I started going to church, and everything got better. Yeah, you started going to church, but guys, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Right? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a hospital makes you a doctor. Carl, can I, can I do a brain surgery? I mean, if I go with you, if you oversee it. Okay. <laughs> On Jeremy. Nice. You heard him. We've all witnessed it, and it's being recorded. Okay, so going to church is not what saved you. You understand? So David points all of the credit. He gives all the credit right back to the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's not about me, David says. It's about the Lord. L-O-R-D. It's all capitalized in your Bible. That's Yahweh God. That's the Father. 
I will bless him at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, not in myself, not in the great things that I've done since I started going to church, but I'm going to boast in the Lord that saved me, the Lord that I met through Christian brothers and sisters who introduced me to him. And maybe it was at church, maybe it was in the cubicle next to me. Maybe it was on a baseball diamond somewhere during a summer softball league. I don't know where it was, but somewhere along the line, somebody introduced you not to church, but to Jesus Christ. Introduced you to God, your Father, in whose image you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what begins to change you. That's what starts to change you from the inside out, not from the outside in. You are not changed because you stopped doing those things. You stopped doing those things because God began to change you. Understand? You all with me so far? So we boast not in our own works and not in our own selves, but in the Lord. We praise Him at all times. His praise is continually in our mouth. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Guys, I think that that is an important and overlooked line. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. A lot of times I've told somebody about Jesus. I've told somebody about church. And why don't you come to church with me? And I get, well, that might work for you, but that just doesn't work for me. Jesus might be good for some people. But it's not good. It it doesn't work for me. I'm not into that religion thing. You go ahead and have a nice time. I'll meet up with you afterwards. Has anybody but me ever experienced that when you're trying to tell somebody about this great God that we serve, that we are part of his family, and they're like, yeah, that might work for you. Man, that's frustrating. Those are people who are not humble. They think they've got it all together. They're like, nah, you you, you need that crutch. You may need that. I'm good. I'm cool. I don't need that. Me, I got this all worked out. And so we've got to, before you can be glad about this news, you've got to be humble about yourself and your own position. You need to be made aware of, man, you do need this. You do need this crutch. Because this crutch is in the shape of the cross of Jesus Christ. You do need to lean on that. Believe me. He goes on to say, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I love this. I love this verse. Verse three is my one of my favorite verses. I've decided in this whole psalm. I, I just decided that just now. You saw a moment. You and I, we just shared a moment together. I just decided. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Those words, magnify. If I, if you, if you, okay. Let me see. How am I going to put? Can you make God bigger than He is? <laughs> right. You can't. You're not making God bigger. You're, ma- you're, you're magnifying. You're painting a bigger picture of God. You're enabling someone to see him more closely, to get a better look, to investigate it in, in, a, in, a, in a more intimate way by magnifying it. If I take an 8 by 10 picture of Jesus, okay, about so, and I staple it to a telephone pole somewhere as if he were a lost cat, Well, okay, any advertising is good advertising, but now let's take that same picture of Jesus and let's blow it up so it's about 20 feet tall and it's like a billboard size. Well, okay, now you're talking. Now people are going to notice that thing. People are driving by. They're going to be like, that's that Jesus guy that they were telling me about. They probably would recognize. I don't know if they'd recognize him. How many of you guys have seen him? I've been in Jerusalem. I've been in Israel. There is not one guy that looks like most of the Jesus paintings that I've ever seen. Not one person over there looked like that. Anyway, magnify is not to make bigger. It's to to bring closer, to make it appear closer, to get a better look at it. And then let us exalt his name together. 
To exalt means to lift up. So now not only have we got a 20-foot tall picture of Christ, but now we have hung it from the bottom of the Goodyear blimp during the Super Bowl. We have lifted it up so that everyone can see it. Guys, this is a picture of how we are to be living our lives. We are that picture of Jesus. And if you allow Jesus to grow inside you and and you feed that image of Christ and you become more and more Christ-like in the way you live, you will be magnifying Jesus to the world. And then as you tell other people, you will be exalting him. You will be lifting him up as your praise, his praise is continually in your mouth and your boast is in the Lord. You're lifting him up. You're pointing people towards the cross, towards Christ, toward his work, not their own. They're not defined by what they do or what they've done. They're defined by Christ's love for them and his willingness to take the penalty for what they've done on himself. That's what defines us. And so we begin to tell other people that. But with me, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Okay, if it's just me, if I go out and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ all by myself, I'm the religious nut job walking around on the street talking about Jesus to everybody. But if a hundred people, everyone in this room were to stand up and go downtown and stand together and begin singing praise and worship songs and telling people about Jesus and lifting him up and pointing people toward the cross, now you're not a religious whack job. Now you're a movement. Now you've got power behind your words because it is not good for man to be alone. It's not just for weddings. It's for church. It's for community. It is not good for man to be alone. Exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord with me. David is saying, come with me on this journey because it's awesome. Let's do this together because we're better together than any of us are alone. Amen? That's right. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This is an active verb. I sought the Lord. I went looking for him. I sought him out, and he heard me. That's the cool part. Not only do we have a God who created the heavens and the earth, who made us in his image, who took our place on a cross so that we could spend eternity with him, but as we seek him out, he is listening for us. He is listening for your voice, whether it be in a whisper or a shout. He is like this, waiting for you to talk to him. How cool is it that the creator of the universe, the uncreated God, the king of all creation, wants and loves to hear the sound of your voice? Now, that's not true for all of us as we're singing. There may be some people that don't want to hear the sound of my voice when I'm singing. There may be people who do. But God always wants to hear the sound of your voice. He loves to talk with his children. He loves it. He wants you to speak to him, and he hears you. We have a God who is not far from us. He heard David. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This is a God who delivers us. We ask him for help. He delivers us. He comes through every single time. I have not seen him fail one time in all of eternity. Not once. Because God is love, and love never fails. It's in his word. You can't deny it. He saved him from uh, all his fears, delivered him from his fears. And the word here actually does mean fear. It means terror. And consider this with me. It, it, it may not be, 
But as I was reading this, I thought to myself, isn't it interesting? It doesn't necessarily say that right here that he delivered him from the thing that was causing his fear, but he delivered him from the fear of the thing. Christians, you're going to have issues in your life. You're going to have things that come your way that you are afraid of. And just because, just because God delivers you from the fear of it doesn't mean that the thing is gone, does it? There are things that we're all afraid of, but God can deliver us from the fear of that so that we can deal with it, so that we can look it in the eye and, and calmly and through God and through His grace and His mercy and His power handle it, frankly. Let's move on to verse 5. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. What does that ever mean? Well, it means this. Again, you have a God who loves the sound of your voice, a God who wants to hear from you, a God who, when you ask him for help, he is faithful to deliver. And so there's no shame in asking for that help. See, Men especially, well, at least stereotypically, men hate asking for help. We hate asking for directions. We hate reading directions. Ask my wife. We were on a trip. I don't know where we were. We were in the middle of Wyoming somewhere last month. And we were driving along, and I took the exit to get gas for the car. I took the exit. I went over the overpass. And, I'm, and, and there's the gas station over here. And so there's a stoplight. And I took this left, and I was like, okay, we'll go into the gas station, right? Guess what? The left that I took, that was the on-ramp in the other direction. And what am I going to do, right? It's too late. So we're on the freeway. We're going the wrong direction now. Missed the gas station. Ask her how I behaved. Ridiculous, okay? Ridiculous. I get all huffy and mad, and irritable, and I won't talk to anybody, and I'm doing like 8,000 miles an hour down the freeway the wrong direction until I get 10 minutes back down the road to the next, the next off-ramp where I could turn around and come back and then make it to the gas station. And I was just a bear until we got there. And for a few minutes after, I'm just like, Ugh! and she'll tell you that's true. And it's not, it's not an isolated incident, I'm ashamed to say. Don't Get me lost. I hate it. So we get ashamed. I feel ashamed when I am lost, when I don't know where I am, when I have an issue in my life. I am ashamed to ask for help. And I, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of people feel like, well, I should be able to handle this. No, you shouldn't. You're human, just like the rest of us. So what David's saying is here is, is they looked to him and were radiant. They were glad to cry out to God. They were glad to ask for his help. Why would you not be glad that you had a hookup with the creator of the universe that could help you out? Of course we're glad. We go to the Lord and we say, God, I don't know how to handle this. Even if it's something just totally insignificant. God, should I have a taco or a burrito? I don't know. He'll help. Maybe they'll be out of... Taco shells, and you'd be, okay, burrito it is. So God is, does not cause shame to, when you ask him for help. He wants to help. So David confirms that in verse 6. He says, this poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. This poor man, David says. This poor man, the anointed king of Israel, this poor man who slew the giant Goliath, who has an army with me, this poor man, 
See, David is humble right here, isn't he? We go back, go back to verse 2. The humble hear of it and be glad. David's humble. He said, this poor man, wretched man. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. David is encouraging us there. So that first section is sort of David's testimony. It's sort of his, his it's, a, it's thanksgiving. He's giving praise and giving thanks to God. But he never really says why. But then he goes on to the second section. This is verses 7 through 10. The second section is more of an invitation. He goes on to say, The angel of the Lord, in verse 7, encamps around all those, or I'm sorry, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Okay. Circle the word fear in your Bible if you like to do this sort of thing. This word does not mean fear or terror. The word used originally here is to revere. It's revere. It's, it's not be afraid of. It's not to be afraid of the, of, the, of the Lord. It's to revere Him, to hold Him in such high esteem, in such high regard, to be in awe of Him. It's, it's revere. And then he says in verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. These same words, guys, are echoed by Jesus Christ in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Mark 1, 15, Jesus is speaking and he says, Repent and believe. The word, the word there that he uses for repent, it's, it's, repent is a kind of a multifaceted word. It can mean to feel regret and sorry for something. It can also mean... Uh, in this case, to change your mind. The word, the original word is metanoia in the Greek, and it means to, to have a change of the way you think about something. So he's saying, change the way you think about, about the kingdom of God and believe in it. Stop doubting it and just believe it. It's the same thing David is saying here. He's saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's like trying to get your kids to eat their vegetables. And you're, you're, we're trying to convince them that, no, this is really, they're really good. They're not that bad. They're good. Taste it. See it. Just try it. Please try it. And you get these people that, that when you're trying to hand them Jesus Christ, you're trying to hand them eternal life, you're trying to hand them freedom from their sin, you're trying to hand them salvation, and they're acting like a kid with a carrot. And they're like, oh, no, jeez, get it out of here. They just won't try it. And David's saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's going to save you. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You put your trust in God and his gospel, in his kingdom, in his promises. You put your faith, hope, and trust in this God that I serve. And you will see that it's good. And you'll see that you will be blessed if you'll put your trust in him. Verse 9 says, So fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Again, that word again is to revere. And so I've got it circled in a line, and then it, mine says revere. So as I read it, I read, Oh, revere the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who revere him. You don't need to be afraid of your father. My kids are not afraid of me. Now, they have what I call a healthy fear of me, but they're not scared of me. You know, They know that, hey, if I, if I don't do, if I am disobedient, Good things don't happen. But if I am obedient, then good things do happen. So it's not that they're scared of me, but they understand that I'm bigger than them and I can still take them. They get that. And don't nobody here tell them otherwise. Don't put that in their heads. Okay? 
Fear the Lord, you as saints. There is no want to those who fear him, who revere him. There's no want. You will not want for anything. God surpasses all of the material and worldly things that you could possibly hope to want or wish for. You may want right now, you may want the new car and the new house and the new, I don't know, new boyfriend, whatever. But those things will fade if you will put your trust in God. If you will begin to turn your eyes on Jesus and the cross and the Father and and by His Spirit, He will begin to change the way you see the material things of this world. I'm not saying the material things are bad. It's okay to have material things. There's not a problem with that. But it's not going to be your God anymore. It's not going to be the thing that keeps you going. It's not going to be the reason you get up and go to work in the morning. It's just going to be a product of it, a fruit of it. Verse 10 says, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. He's talking to a younger generation here. The young lions. It's talk, I believe that he's talking to, to kids, to adolescents, to young men and women who, imagine this, you're just coming out of high school or coming out of college and they're getting into the world and they're, man, they've got it all figured out. I am 18 and I got to leave home quickly before I realize that I don't know everything. So I get out of the house and I am going to chase down the world and I'm after it. I'm seeking it out. And, and I went to college and I've got, I've got my business degree and I'm moving and I'm shaking and I'm rising in the business world and I have all these great things. I finally got that Ferrari I've been saving up for and I got the house on the beach and I got the condo in Venice and I've got this and that and the other thing, but there's something missing. There's something lacking. What could it be? I have all this money. I have all this stuff. I have these cars, these houses, but I'm missing something. Even though I have all these things, I am lacking And I am hungry. I'm suffering hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. See, once I realize that what's been missing in my life isn't a a thing, but rather it's a being. It's God. It's Christ. It's His Spirit in my life. And as I begin to seek those things out, it's not that I necessarily have to forfeit all the other things, but as I seek God and His will in my life as well, well, gee, now, now I feel fulfilled. Now the rest of the things really aren't that important after all because I've found fulfillment in Christ. I've found that I'm full and I'm satisfied. And I, and I no longer have that ache and that hunger in my heart and in my soul. And so he goes on to the third section, verse 11. It's sort of an instructional David's giving us instructions. He starts in verse 11 by saying, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Again, in my Bible, mine says, I will teach you reverence for the Lord. I'll teach you the things of God. I'll teach you what's really important, kids. Listen to me for a while, and you'll see that all of the other stuff in the world, I'll show you what's really important. He goes on in verse 12, he asks a rhetorical question. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? He's asking, hey, who in this room wants to live a long time so that you can see lots of great things happening for for God and in his kingdom? And everybody says, yeah, I'll take that. 
I want to live a long life. I want to see all kinds of great stuff happening. I want to see miracles. I want to see people being saved. I want to see lives being changed. I want to see people being snatched away from the devil and snatched from the jaws of hell. Whatever you want to call it. I want to see those things. I want to see many good things. So, yeah, I'll take that. David says, okay, well, here's how you do it. Keep your tongue from evil. We pretty well know what that means, you know. We don't slander. We don't, we, we don't lie. We, we don't engage in silly talk, coarse jesting, all that jazz. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Well, now wait. How come there's like two lines that talk about keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit? Isn't that the same thing or are those, or are those two different things? Well, keeping your lips from speaking deceit could be in reference not only to lying, speaking deceitfully about or to other people, but it could also be a reference uh, to an earlier psalm. And it's, it has to do with your relationship with God, about not just giving God lip service on Sunday and then living however you want uh, Monday through Saturday. And it refers back to Psalm 17. And you don't have to turn there because we're only going to look at the first verse. But Psalm 17, verse 1 says, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Give ear to my prayer. Hear my prayer, because it's not from deceitful lips. It's from someone who has gotten honest with the Lord, who has gotten real and has realized where they fall short and just how short they fall. And he's, he's, gotten to his, he's come to a place where he is real with God. There's no deceit in my prayers, God. When I'm talking to you, God, I'm talking to you. I'm not, I'm not just talking so that the person next to me thinks I'm really spiritual, and I'm really holy, and I am so righteous. I am like a bottle of hand sanitizer in jeans. I'm so clean and morally pure. Okay? It's talking about your relationship, being real in your relationship with the Lord. Depart from evil, verse 14, and do good. Duh! That makes sense. Seek peace and pursue it. Again, these are active things. These are things that you can do by, by God's power, by the power of His Spirit. You can depart from evil and do good. You can seek peace and pursue it. But here's the thing, guys. It's, it's in here for a reason. Seek peace and pursue it. It's not just going to fall into your lap. Peace does not just happen. If you don't believe me, take your kids, stick them in the back of the car, and go for about a 17-hour drive. Tell me how peaceful it is after a while. Get back to me. Okay? I mean, we have people in the world. Can't we all just get along? 6,000 years of human history says, no, we can't. Okay? We cannot all get along. If we could, we probably would be by now. We'd have it figured out. People will always have differences with one another. So we need to, as Christians, seek peace and pursue peace. Whenever possible, live at peace with your neighbor. Christ is, is all about the kingdom of peace, the prince of peace. So, but it's not just going to come and, and fall into your lap like, like some cosmic butterfly that just lands. It's just not. You've got to go after it. You have to pursue peace in your life. Verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. In case you're wondering, this is the fourth section of the psalm. And this is... Uh, like an overview of God's promises to his children, to his believers. It's also been argued 
And there's, there's argument for and against this, and there, it's, it's good scholarship on both sides, I think. But this section of this psalm, uh, there's been some argument that it may have been Messianic prophecy, that it may be referring here to Jesus Christ. And you'll see why as we read it. I don't know. I, I'm not going to say if it is or if it isn't. I, I kind of, you know, I lean one direction, but I'll let you guys make your own judgment on that. Because I don't think your salvation is going to hinge on whether or not you think this is is prophetic or not. But it starts in verse 15 again. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Okay, so again, this is David reiterating. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He said, but I'm not righteous. Only Jesus is righteous, right? That's what it says. But... His righteousness is imparted to you. See, the attributes of Christ are imparted to you when you believe in Him. When you give your trust, when you put your hope, your faith, your trust, uh, your eternity in the hands of Jesus Christ, and you submit to His will rather than your own, you are made righteous by the blood of Christ. And so the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Father are on you. He is paying attention. His ears are open to their cry. He is listening. Again, it's a God who hears you. It's a God who is listening to you. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Guys, how many people do you think have done evil so that they would be remembered? So that we would remember who they were. There are countless people who got their money or their fame by doing things that the world might consider evil. That God certainly might consider evil. And I, there's no need to name names because right now, I mean, the, the internet, just go Google anything. Go Google any, any famous person and you will find or be sent somewhere where someone has done something that God would say is evil in order to gain that fame. They've sold out. They've either sold their body. They've sold their ideas. They've sold their faith. They've walked away from everything pure and holy. Just why? So we could make a name for ourselves and be remembered. Because why? We are terrified that we'll be forgotten. This was especially true back in uh, David's day. Um, The Jews... They're all about genealogy. They're all about being remembered, having your name written down and remembered. And God's saying here, he says, those who do evil, I will cut off the remembrance of you from the earth. Not much has changed since then. We still, the the way to immortality for a lot of people is to have your name remembered, is to have people remember who you are, remember what you did, leave some sort of legacy behind, remember how much money you had, whatever it was. Because that way, we don't, we don't really die because our name lives on. But God says here, those who do evil, not even your name will live on. I will erase you, God says. I will cut off the remembrance of you from this earth No one will even remember you. No one will know you. You will be truly gone from this earth. 
Verse 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Again, the righteous is you. You are made righteous by Christ's righteousness, and God hears you, and he delivers them out of his troubles. Again, David is just sort of rehashing, reiterating again what he said earlier. He's saying, this poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The righteous cries out. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. David's saying, it happened for me. It can happen for you. It worked for me. It'll work for you. God's promises are just as true for you as they are for me. God will deliver you the same way he delivered me. Divinely, perfectly, in perfect timing. You don't need to worry about these things because God has got this. You don't need to be scared. If you have a broken heart, God is there with you. God is near to you. I know that there are people in this room whose heart, for one reason or another, is broken. It's heavy. It's burdened. Something is wrong in your life. And God says, I'm right there with you, buddy. I am right there with you. I'm feeling it with you. And I will carry you through this. Verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Verse 21, Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. Stop there. This is cool. I saved the best for last. Rather, rather God did. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's verse 19. Now, verse 21 Evil shall slay the wicked. I looked this up. The word for evil is also used, it can also be translated as affliction. Okay? So remember, verse 21, affliction shall slay, and the word for the wicked can also be translated as guilty. It can also be translated as guilty. So you've got the righteous, and you've got the guilty, and you've got affliction. Okay? So, we who are in Christ, the righteous, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Guys, you need to understand that because you became a Christian, your life is not going to be perfect. Your life is going to be full of affliction. We talked about this last week with Ben. There's all kinds of afflictions for the righteous. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. We will all experience hardship, trouble, strife. Death, taxes, you name it. We get all of the same things that the world deals out. It is not partial to you because you carry a Bible in your glove compartment. Okay? It just isn't. And so you will be afflicted, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Verse 21, if we use the other translations, we say, Affliction shall slay the guilty. Those who are not righteous, those who are not made righteous, are found guilty, right? Everybody agree with me on that? So the same afflictions that God delivers you from, that God gives you hope through, that God will see you through and lift you up above and carry you through and and heal you from, those same afflictions 
will slay the wicked, the guilty, the not righteous. Those are the things that keep you up at night. The things that bother you and gnaw at you. God delivers his children out of those things. But those who are not in Christ are on their own. They've got to deal with that on their own. That's hard. That's not a great way to live. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. That is pretty straightforward. He redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. You you won't be condemned if you're in Christ. If you're a servant of the Lord, you will not be condemned. Here's the cool thing, though. Again, looked it up in Strong's. Servants is also translated as family. You are God's kids. You are in Christ. You are a child of God. You are adopted into the family of the Most High. The Lord redeems the soul of his family, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. And and does family serve one another? Absolutely it does, doesn't it? But not as a slave. Not as a slave. We serve out of love. We serve out of devotion. We serve out of dedication, out of, out of uh, thanksgiving for this, this mad, passionate, incredible, amazing, infinite love that God showed us first before we ever even knew his name. Before we were formed in our mother's wombs, he knew us. He had named us. He knew every hair on our head. That's why. That's why we love him. That's why we serve. Not because we're slaves, not because, you know, how many, how many parents in here had kids because the grass was getting really long and the dishes and the laundry were piling up and you really needed someone to help out around the house? I hope not. Please don't raise your hand. No, you have a kid so you can love your kids, so that you can impart wisdom to your kids, so that you can guide them. And yes, they get to help with the laundry and the dishes and the, well, I mean, everybody's house but ours, the kids help. In our house, they do it all. Um, But, you know, that's why. That's why God chose us. That's why God chose you. Not to serve him as a slave, but to serve him as family serves one another. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. To show us how. And so we follow his example. We follow Christ. And, and we, we exalt him. We lift him up. We praise his name together as family. All at one time, we lift him up. And guys, I, again, if, if, if you are hurting, if you are broken, if you are experiencing pain or difficulty or trials or strife, whatever it is in your life, ladies and gentlemen, we'll have, we'll have our elders sort of stationed around the sides of the room today during this last song. Please, please humble yourself. God hears the humble. God will listen to you. Go to these men. These are good, godly, righteous men. And they are there for you. I am here for you. Pastor Ben is here for you. Do not leave this place with the same pain in your heart that you came in with. Don't do that. Don't do it to yourself. Don't do it to the people that you come in contact with for the rest of this week. Let God begin to change you from the inside today. If you don't know what I'm talking about, especially if you don't know what I'm talking about, get up, swallow your pride, lay your fear down, stand up, and go to these guys and talk to them. Pray with them. 
ask them the questions that you need to ask to get some kind of a handle on the goodness of this God. If you don't know him, taste and see that the Lord is good. I dare you to try it. You will never be the same. You will never be the same. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray for every person here today, Lord, that that your spirit would move on our hearts. God, that your, your kindness, that your mercy, that your grace would be made evident, not just in our own lives, but Lord, to the lives of the people that we know. That God, as we go back to work and and, and our daily lives this week, that there is something different about us. Something tangibly, obviously different. And God, give us the grace. Give us the strength and, and, the, and the courage, Lord, when someone asks, what's different about you? We don't just leave out the part of the story where Jesus came in. But Lord, we give our credit. We give all of the glory to him. We point back to the cross. His praise is continually in our mouth. We will continually bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.